Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides on the quest to RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. In our main podcast episodes, we discuss D&D 5e's core rules and ever-expanding content, while also showcasing other RPG systems and bringing you fresh, new projects from indie content creators. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world you're playing in, because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. Do you love Marvel but are tired of hearing Cheeto-stained white guys talk about it? Are you hoping to see the X-Men and Avengers face off? Do you secretly want to be Jessica Jones or Daisy Johnson? Or do you want to be with Valkyrie? If so, you've found your new favorite podcast. We're your hosts, Madam Chris and Madam Amy, and we are here to give you the commentary you want. Marvel. Minus the mansplaining. Find us wherever you get your podcasts and visit us at themarvelousmadams.com. Madams, assemble. Welcome, everybody, to tonight's episode. So we are going to be talking with some awesome interviewees in just a moment here. But before we get into that, Glenn, Liwanico, welcome. Nice to see you on a beautiful Thursday evening here up in Maine. Hope it's nice down in, down in Connecticut also. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and get into our state of the table for this week. Glenn, why don't you go ahead and start us tonight? All right. So my, uh, my role-playing news for the week, we know we've talked about it, running more games as we get more Patreons, and... Our numbers have been growing, but we now have the game that you already run, Josh, and we have mm -hmm. the modern D20 game that Lee Winnie could just started that's going great so far. Figured it'll be a little while before I'm running one, but I've started thinking about it. I'm reading Curse of Strahd at the moment. I'm not positive that's what I'm going to run with. It's supposed to be one of the best ever written, but it's big and it's complex. I'm also thinking about Water Deep Dragon Heist, which Liwanika is yep. hugely <laughs> voting. But I really want to get back into learning how to break down and run a module because I haven't done it since second edition. And I think yep. that that'll be a great way for me to start. So looking forward to it. And I'm doing some light reading at the moment in, in preparation. So it should be cool. a good time. Excellent. I love it. Glenn. Uh, second edition for you. I haven't run a module since first edition. Or actually, I ran a first edition module for second edition character. Yep. It was the last time I ran one, oh. and that was uh, a long time ago. So yeah. there is yeah. a skill to running pre-written uh, modules that you got to flex those muscles a little bit and learn how yeah. to do it. Yeah, and I, I will say that. So with the actual play that I've been running, so yes, while it is ostensibly 
Candlekeep, <laughs> and now Wild Beyond the Witchlight. It is also really not either of those things. It very quickly spun into its own thing, especially with the Wild Beyond the Witchlight. I found it easier to use what's in there as this like scaffolding and then plop our quest material into the middle of it and still have a kind of a, a fully formed game and everything like that. So it's like the things that happen are things that happen in the module, but they right. either happen for different reasons or they happen in different ways, or there are other things that make them mean different things. So that I think that's been a very interesting dynamic running through that kind of running the module, but not running the module. It's been very right. strange. Yeah. Because yeah, you're blending different stories from different pre-written TSR or not TSR. Whoa. Watch the <laughs> products. Take wow. us back, Grognard. <laughs> wow. Good. That was that's a blast from the past. Yeah. No, um, we, we I imagine that I'll wind up you're blending a bunch of different stories and giving it its own collective narrative just to tie it together for the group. Yeah. yeah. But I'm gonna pick your brain, I think, Josh, probably a little bit as I'm getting ready, maybe, for how to prep cool. a module and get it ready to go. I am, I am you, happy you to uh, I'm happy to have my brain picked. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say this I don't know Strahd at all, so I can't compare it to anything, but have been having been a player in Dragon Heist, the material that we didn't even get to because I did it Adventure League style and we leveled out of it faster than we could get to all of the material. There was such a wealth of different avenues to go within that story. For mine, I'm going to go with with really the low-hanging fruit on today's TTRPG news, I will be honest, but Paizo's announcement that the Abomination Vault's adventure path is going to be published for D&D 5th edition. This is not... So Paizo has put out uh, adventure paths for D&D before. This is not their first one, but Abomination Vault's is far and away considered probably one of the best Pathfinder... And so the fact that it is coming now to D&D 5e um, has got everybody very excited to see how that port is going to be. The timing on it is going to be interesting. So they are saying at this point, late October or early November, which means clearly they're trying to get it out there in time for for Christmas. Christmas um, market. And that is normally when Wizards of the Coast puts out their big fall book is at the same time for D&D. So I wonder, we have hypothesized that Spelljammer may be the book that comes out at that time. This going to be, or is the Dragonlance going to be coming out? So the Dragonlance novels coming out this summer. Is the material coming out? Anyway, this might be out on the market in competition with the next Wizard or the the Wizard Coast book at the end of the month. So that's interesting. I, I, there may be some jockeying for uh, for holiday dollars there. Let's be honest, I'll, right. I'll buy both. Right, but we'll see. Like that's uh, jockeying, you know, we'll schmockeying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they have big bookshelves right. for a reason. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. That's why. We, that's why I keep buying houses like in Skyrim. Luminica, how about you, sir? <laughs> God, I have so many houses in Skyrim. It's not even funny. Because uh, you, you got to find some place to store your books. Exactly. That's the problem I keep running into. Oh, my wife is literally, she's got a list that she printed out off of the internet. Oh, she's yeah. trying to collect every book in Skyrim in her bookcases. Oh, yeah. And, and you, you got to maximize because there's the house with the observatory wizard's tower. You mm-hmm. can get the most amount of storage in one. Oh, yeah, totally. Oh, I've been down that road, my friend. I have been down that road. I it's understand her pain. Yeah. Luanika. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in non-Skyrim tabletop news. <laughs> um, no, I, I do not geek shame in any way. If that's your jam, spread that on both pieces of toast, kid. Do what you got to do. Yeah, so for me, this past week and leading into today's recording has been about preparing for the rest of our Critical Role content. And one of the pillars within the month of Critical Role that we're doing is a full review of Call of the Netherdeep, all the main sections and the adventure path material. And without being too spoilerific for the adventure path as a whole 
or our upcoming show, which we'll be recording here in a short amount of time. I just want to say I absolutely love this pre-written adventure. I love, and, and right now I am partway through the second chapter, but the first chapter is just brilliant. They do some amazing things that I would not have never thought of that I will absolutely be porting into my various homebrew games that I will enjoy. And when I first started reading it, I'm like, this is looking pretty good. This would be fun to run. And then as I've read it, I'm like, man, I really want to play this. Like I am all in for the call of the nether deep adventure and I'm only one chapter in it is that good. And there's nothing in the first chapter that I read that would spoil it. There's no deep mystery here within that. It's just a great game. You want to talk about a way to build a party and get your party together. Take this whole section, put it in any game you want to run and do this first. Nice. That good. Cool. Nice. I I am not as far into it as you are, but I am enjoying it so far as well. I'm also enjoying it quite a bit. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to our review episode on this, which will be coming up in just a couple of weeks here. Excellent. So without any further ado, let me go around the room tonight and introduce all of our awesome guests. So first, from a couple of Drakes, we have Navi. Say hello to the Tabletop Journeys audience. Hello, I'm Navi. Yeah, I'm half of the couple of Drake's design team. And I'm known for making really niche indie tabletop games. Court of mm-hmm. Blades is a game about intrigue. As you bring your fops, bring your fabulous wigs, it's that kind of game. Um, I've got games where you play post-apocalyptic warriors who are fighting back scary fairies to save what's left of humanity. I've even got a game where you can play magical girls. So if there's a yep. niche game out there, I will make it. I will say that I am very much looking forward to my copy of Court of Blades. I don't have my physical copy yet, but I've looked at the digital copies and they are amazing. Folks on the show have know that the three of us actually got to know each other by doing vampire style LARPing. So we're all into the intrigue and foppishness. <laughs> so, oh, that's so yeah. cool. I cannot wait yeah. to get that out. The art is yeah. rolling in. It's going to be out soon. I promise. Amazing. Fantastic. Amazing. Excellent. Awesome. All right. And from Lucky Newt Games, we've got Laura. Laura, say hello. Hello. My name is Laura from Lucky Newt Games. Our big focus is with family-friendly games. Even if they're not simple enough for kids to play, they'll at least be family-friendly enough that you won't mind having them in the room with you when you play them. Mm -hmm. None of our games promote hatred or violence towards a group of peoples. And all our games are created to be either lighthearted and fun, provide comfort of some sort, make people stop and think about the world around them or their relationships with others or themselves or some combination thereof. Some of the games that we have that are noteworthy is Five Second Rule, which runs off of the 3D60 or 3D6 Diversify uh, system that was created specifically for that game, but there's now a jam that I'm running using it. But um, also mission a line of mission games, including Mission Magic Brew and Wildfire, which are some of our most downloaded games. And we just hope that people have as much fun playing our games as we have creating them. Awesome. That sounds fantastic. Thank you for that. I really like the sound of that. I got to hear more about this uh, 360 diversity system. Yeah. And all the way from the West Coast, we've got Beth the Bard. Beth, welcome to Tabletop Journeys. 
Hello. Hi, everyone. I'm Beth the Bard. I'm a professional dungeon master. It's what I do all week, every week, especially on the weekends. I am a TTRPG writer for really cool companies like Modifius, Dungeon in a Box, and Deep Breath. And I am a layout designer and best-selling author of She's the Ancient, a gender-bent curse of Strahd on DM Skill. My newest project, Snow and Stitched Flesh, a Lamordia guidebook, will be out in the next few months, along with more Ravenloft projects after that, because I'm pretty much obsessed with all things D&D and horror. So nice. that's the plan. I, I will say that if any of the players at my home tabletop campaign are listening, if they check out Dungeon in a Box Season 3, they will find a significant amount of similarities right down to the Tabaxi Swashbuckler. I was very excited when you said yes, because Dungeon in a Box was a fantastic subscription. We'll get into that later. Anyway, everybody, welcome uh, to Tabletop Journeys. We're really excited to go ahead and have you here. And we wanted to pull the three of you folks together today to celebrate International Women's Month. Every year, uh, Tabletop Journeys does an episode highlighting women in the space or like last year we did an episode all about our favorite female characters in pop culture and everything like that uh, and today we wanted to go ahead and pull you all together to go ahead and talk about what you're doing in the tabletop role-playing space with the games that you're creating uh and what you're putting out there into the world and let's go ahead and and get started here now i'm going to start with you just because again you were top of my list here so i want to talk about more about court of blades and how the kickstarter campaign went and what kind of information we can glean from you about putting that campaign together and how it went and what are things that you wish you'd known about putting together a Kickstarter campaign before that started? Oh boy. Okay. In five minutes so... or less. No, just, yeah, a... <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Okay, we're going to need at least an hour. So everybody just buckle right. up. <laughs> you know, it was actually, it was a wonderful campaign. I had a lot of people in the community that were eager to reach out and talk about the Kickstarter page, help me organize the information. I had someone who had run a very successful Kickstarter also come along and give me his pointers and help me rearrange everything. So my... I did. I feel like I did better than I probably should have been able to do for my first time because I had so much help. And that's really what's wonderful about the community that we're in. Everybody will just jump in. So that's a wonderful thing about our community. As far as things that I wish I had known. Okay. Budgeting time, especially with the, the Panini, I should have put a lot more time in my timeline because... Yeah everything was pushed back. My entire team was just months behind the entire time. I lost my artist halfway through. They needed a mental health break. So like in the middle of trying to finish this book, all of a sudden I had no artist because I'd only planned for the one artist. So I had half of my art and this huge book and I lost my mind. My big takeaway was um, being a little bit more lenient with the time frame, and also having a backup for every person on the team just even with my second artist they were hospitalized for the panini right after i brought them on so i was hemorrhaging artists for a good while (laughs) and now we're on track (laughs) i got my fingers crossed right now Oh, I, I can imagine that the kind of global shipping and processing deadlines have not done done you all any favors either so i'm sure that's been an unexpected and fun challenge i'm sure Oh, I mean, to hell with the challenge. The prices are just skyrocketing. And we made the mistake of charging for shipping during the actual Kickstarter rather than collecting at the end. Don't do that. That's my other tip. Mm. Don't do that because right now shipping prices are just skyrocketing. So that's fun. (laughs) 
props to you and everyone else having to deal with the shipping issue right now. Um, I live in the Seattle area, driving mm-hmm. down Soto. You see the, oh, what are they called? The shipping crates from the, the ship. shipping crates, yep. Mm-hmm. Seattle too. <laughs> in every empty space, piled like three, four crates <laughs> up. Mm-hmm. I, oh, so, I'm going to have some angry international folks. I just know it. They're going to be so mad. We can only hope that members of this community, because it's not just you, it's every creator who's shipping anything with paper. Yes. There there are large companies right. that are hitting significant delays. Watsy delayed the back end of their schedule in 2021, Last and they, year, kicked, yeah. they kicked a bunch of books at the front end of this year. If the biggest company in this space is having these delays impact their release dates, then I think the community should be very forgiving and shame on those who are not. <laughs> God, that makes There's me so nervous. Here. Well, send them my way. I'll talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> so, Laura, I saw you shaking your head when Navi was talking about the community and everything like that. How has the community impacted what you've been creating? It's been incredibly supportive. Anytime I'm a relative noob, especially compared to the other guests, I've only been doing this since July of last year. And even then, I didn't really sink my teeth into it until November, December. And every time I've had a question, every time it was like, I have no idea how to do this. And I feel like I should. I feel <laughs> dumb for having to ask. They've always been supportive. They've been quick to answer, make suggestions for what worked for them without being like that overbearing no you have to do it this way yeah it's just insanely supportive i I can totally appreciate where you're coming from because we put out our first book that was uh november i think it was the traveler's guide to collaborative world building came out in november and the amount of support that we got from uh, from friend of the show jamie flowers and everything like that about hey this you should put art yeah, yeah, you should put art in your book. That's a thing you should do. But we're, we're wrapping up our second book now, and just the amount that we learned, even from that, that small process, I think was uh, significant. So I, uh, I just, totally appreciate. And conversations on Twitter, various forums on Facebook, our great the great relationships we built over the past year and a half with other podcasters, all have really added in and lended itself to helping us grow what we do and get better at it. So I'm glad that that continues. Uh, for you as well because that's why we do it we do it so we can build bit better community and it is a community and laura my biggest takeaway from that is you say noob and i say owning it and doing it all right because mm-hmm. you're asking the questions they're hard to ask you're not wrong but when you're feeling foolish because you don't know it happens to me all the time because i'm a guy in my 40s trying to learn how to do social media it's crazy <laughs> but i have to ask because if not i never will and it's foolish to feel well we it, it it, we shouldn't feel foolish, but we do. To feel dumb for not knowing something. You don't know it just because you haven't learned it yet. But it does, and it's hard. So kudos. Well, Great I, job. I, even when I was – I used to write commission stories before this. I have four short stories published in different places. But even then, I grasped the philosophy of the only dumb question is the unasked one. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the short version of my lot of words. Yeah, first of all, I love the covers on your on your books that you have on oh thank uh, you dm's guild very evocative the snow and stitch i'm i'm intrigued that's something i gotta dig in like just after seeing it on our discord chat pre-show i put that in my in my checkout box or whatever my cart so that's gonna be coming home with me shortly because uh that's just looks and feels like great content i also noted that a gold bestseller, great job. Obviously, it's its own reward. So hearing it from me is probably not the 
the biggest thing on your uh, that c- comes your way. But was that your first gold seller on DMs Guild, or have you had others? And what did it feel like when you got your very first one? That is my first book at all on DMs Guild, and also my first gold bestseller. And it is only about 70 sales away now from making platinum, which, uh, yeah, which means it'll be eligible to become like a hardcover print book and stuff. Since it's the first one, it had to make it like a thousand and one sales before it could go to print. So yeah, first one, I didn't expect at all for it to hit any kind of bestseller. I didn't expect anybody to buy it except for maybe five friends. So I'm still really confused as to why people are buying it and how it's gotten this far, but it's pretty encouraging to write more content. So... That's what I'm doing. Come on now. It's doing that good because it's awesome. And right? and Laura, so just a question. How did you come up with Lucky Newt Games? Like, where? what's the history on that? And does that appear in your games? Is the Newt more than just a name within the, the work that you do? I was actually not looking forward to that question, but I knew it was <laughs> <laughs> So... When I first started getting into getting an interest in creating games, I wanted to have a name that would incorporate my partners and my, you know, my name. So my name's Laura, his name's Nick, and our last name is Gavednik, LNG. And my initial thought was because I'm big into anime and Japanese culture, maybe Lucky Kit or what was it? Lucky Neko games. Mm-hmm. But Neko kind of felt overplayed. There's no Japanese heritage in either of our backgrounds. So it felt weird going that route. So I actually asked for suggestions from friends on social media and family. And one of my partner's friends actually suggested Newt. Because it has that fantasy feel. They're cute little critters anyway. So Lucky Newt Games was born. I do sometimes play a little bit. My second game, Five Second Rule, second TTRPG I ever made, actually has the setting of being involved with LNG Inc. as a little shout out to that. And I do want to incorporate a little more Easter eggs with that here and there, but I'll probably do that with Mission Magic Brew. Put in like Eye of Newt or something. Nice. Nice. And Navi, Quarter Blades, Intrigue. This is completely in my wheelhouse, and yet somehow I managed to miss this entirely. Josh, I'm angry at you because you didn't tell me about it before this. So, like, I'm angry at you. Why is Josh going to be responsible for you finding your stuff? Uh, you know, because it I works it. for the show. And yeah, right, exactly. It's good copy. It's, it's good copy. <laughs> but how does one, now that the Kickstarter is all set, how does one go ahead and get a hold of uh, Quarter Blades at this time? Oh, it's, it's an easy one. So you can find my itch.io shop. It's a couple of drakes at itch.io or dot itch.io. You can also just go straight to a couple of drakes.com and you'll find links there and or jump on my Twitter because Lord knows I'm on Twitter all day. So any of those will, uh, will get you there. I have a backer kit currently running, which is really fantastic. If you want to add that on to things that like everyone should be aware of when doing a Kickstarter, backer kit is amazing. Uh, so I'm taking pre-orders through backer kit. And as soon as you back, you instantly get your copy of the game as it is now, which is pretty close to complete. We're just waiting on the rest of the artwork. And then once the rest of the artwork comes in, we finish formatting and then everybody gets the final release and then the physical copies get sent out and everything is finally done. Awesome. Nice. 
I'm very much looking forward to this. And yeah, like that's, that's as soon as I saw like court intrigue and not Elizabethan, what am I thinking of? Kind Correct. of like French court. Like it had that kind of oh, like big bouffant hair and, and, and yeah. Like, Renaissance. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. I was absolutely in as a, a medieval nerd also. Like that was like, yes, like I'm all in. So cool. Fantastic. So Beth, you're a professional dungeon master. Yes. I know this isn't specifically game design, but this is something that I'm deeply fascinated by. I know a number of people who are exceptional. I'm not sure their professional level. How do you make that transition? How do you become professional dungeon master? What does it mean to actually run a game? And what's it like to run a game for people who are paying you for it? Is there more pressure? Yeah, there's a lot in there. So go ahead and unpack. <laughs> okay, I will tell you exactly what you need to do to become a professional dungeon master. Ready? You just charge money for your session. <laughs> like you just you just make people pay you. That's it. Yeah. Like you okay. don't. All right, all right. You I'm, don't I'm have to like. <laughs> but. Yeah, there's a no because like, everybody has a different style of being mm -hmm. a dungeon master. Even the idea of not so great dungeon master and an excellent dungeon master, those are all dependent on the table. Uh, a table that is really into mechanics and battle is not going to a story tell like a, a story driven role play table and dungeon master that's screw the rules let's all do this random thing which is the type of dm i am so the people that come to my games are ones that are like screw the rules it's all role play we might not have a battle in 10 sessions and yeah i just charge and it works out and that's uh how i make money yeah there's a certain level of professionalists you obviously need to bring to a session that is paid making sure that you actually read your character's backstories and look over their sheets and implement the choices that they've made into the gameplay somehow, tie their stories in with the overall campaign of showing up on time, not ending the session even a second earlier than what is scheduled. Little things like that. I have private Discord spaces where my groups get together and chat between sessions. And yeah, sometimes I'll, I'll throw in bonus sessions here and there that are unpaid just because I'm like, eh, it's a good month. Why not? And it's, it just adds more incentive. So awesome. uh, does that answer the question? <laughs> Mostly, yes. My last one, my, my follow-up to it. How many sessions are you running now? How many game current parties are you currently running? I typically run 11 different games a week. I am currently running five because I needed to back off a little bit for some writing deadlines. Nice. Okay. I was wondering going to be a number like that. Are you still having fun? Half the time I am still having fun. The other half of the time I hate my job. <laughs> so <laughs> at a certain point it becomes work. Yeah, it's insane. I, I promise there are so many people that are like, oh, that's my dream. It's, it will quickly no longer be your dream. <laughs> yeah. I promise. I can wholeheartedly follow that logic because when I was a teenager and I worked at, I was like, I get to work at a comic book store. That was like the greatest thing. And then I got this fantastically brilliant idea uh, in my, at the end of my senior year, because my boss was getting ready to sell the business that I would buy the business. Oh, so no. at, at a week after I graduated high school, I owned my, I own comic book. Oh my I gosh. Actually had two, two locations in fact. Yeah. And it was amazing for you about a lot. For about two months. It was great. I got to go to town hall meetings. I was in the community. I was meeting with people in my plaza talking about what we need to do with laws for signage and all that. And it was great. Like I studied my whole life for these moments. And then it was, I have to pay how much up front? 
Oh. And, then, and then I've got all these people who would order books and then not pick them up for six months at a time. And then I had to do with employees and payroll. And like, I found out one of my employees was skipping out at lunch. Oh man. It very quickly became a, a job and not just the coolest, funnest thing ever. Uh, mm-hmm. That said, I so want to be doing what you're doing rather than what I'm doing right now. (laughs) Ways to reduce the stress. And that's something that my partner and I have talked a lot about is maybe hiring a virtual assistant to help with the management side of things so that I can just enjoy storytelling and let someone else take care of the logistics. I just keep thinking, I don't know if any of you know the series by Drew Hayes about NPCs. And it actually shows how... You can match the wrong players with the wrong GM. And mm-hmm. just how god awful that can get. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, we, we've all been there. Like we all we all oh, pride yeah. ourselves on on being storytellers, not necessarily DMs. That's very much kind of the, the types of games it. that we run. That's why we're off. And a game that we totally stole from LARPing, by the way. Like I, like no no shame there whatsoever. Beth, I, I honestly and that actually if I can glom onto your question for just a second here, Glenn. That's a conversation, man. So <laughs> I've always wondered, do you have a stable of games that you run like at a given time, right? Or do you have like 15 stories, stories and when you're running yeah, a session, like, I'm, I'm, you're running, already there. I'm running story number 12, <laughs> or is somehow everyone distinct? Okay, so I run a handful <laughs> of um, Wizards of the Coast games, and I just yep. run them over and over again. Some of them just will never end. Like one of my Strahd games is a year and a half in, and they're only halfway through the story. Because nice. we role play so much, yeah, yeah. Um, Strahd's really open ended. <laughs> Very open ended, yeah. And so I run like uh, like Curse of Strahd, my version, the Agendament version, Wild Beyond the Witchlight, uh, Candlekeep Mysteries, and then I have a lot of one shots that I've run, and I just have those embedded nice. in my brain permanently, so they're ready nice. to go. And then I there like I did a a few Neverland campaigns. I don't know if you've ever heard of the the setting Neverland by Andrew Kolb. No, it's it like oh, Peter, oh my gosh! Like, if you guys have not Pan seen it, yes, check it out. I ran that one for several different groups for about a year each, and that one was all I had to come up with all my own story stuff. It wasn't pre-built like a Wizards of the Coast mm-hmm. game, and so I just basically ran it like the Feywild combined with uh, traditional children's stories. And I don't, I would just like watch TV or watch movies. <laughs> Or something and be like, okay, the that's the direction we're gonna go next week. Cool. And then I'd jot it down and then riff off of the players. We we are big fans of Faye bullshit. So that's yeah. totally, <laughs> yeah, totally yeah. Yeah. so I love that answer and I love hearing that there's a good mix. It sounds like you do a fair amount of the pre-done stuff, you do some of your own stuff, and it and just based on your own descriptions, that you're taking and you you take these things in your own directions based on your table and such. How did you get started professional DMing? Like, when did you get started? And when did you say, I don't need a nine to five working for blah, 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 (laughs) Inc. I can just do this. I was teaching in a private school. I was like an outdoor educator and stuff like that. And then COVID was like, what's up? And the school program that my kids were going to is like a homeschool resource center kind of situation. They were like, hey, anybody want to come in and teach workshops? And we've got virtual options and in-person options and things. And I had gotten established with them before COVID happened, but I was like set up to be a journalist teacher for the high school program. And then when I just switched into adding D&D into my sessions and then a little after COVID went fully virtual with it and just have been 
yeah, I just got into teaching, just running D&D sessions for kids through the local school district full time. I also do like through the library system as for volunteer stuff. But then after a while of running sessions for kids, I was like, what would be easier than this is running it for adults. And so I just took to the internet and tried and it worked. So uh, now I've got a mix of both. Now, do you have a a page where people get to sign up or is it Uh, your Patreon or how does that work? I, so I have a few different, so I've got two different school systems I run through. I run sessions through my, Mm -hmm. I did have Patreon set up, but I'm focusing more on Ko-Fi. I also have a session coming up on Sword and Scroll. And, and then I just set up like private, like people reach out and we'll just set it up outside of any of these systems. Everything I run is through Zoom. But yeah, my, my main one is Ko-Fi for adults and then Sword and Scroll for adults. Nice. Cool. Nice. Thank you very much, Beth. And I had a couple of follow-ups I was going to go with, but Josh and Lee Wanika covered them. So. <laughs> Navi, for you, you mentioned a post-apocalyptic game that involved fighting fairies. And I want to hear about that because um, I lean in a lot of different I directions. I want to fight fairies. Gaming-wise, you don't, the fighting fairies part is cool. I can be, I can fight them or they can be friends or whatever, bro. It's the post-apocalyptic part that actually drew me in first. The fairies were just like, extra sauce but i've been really looking for a good post-apocalyptic game so you got to tell me about it all right so hedge is built on the lumen system it is a very much it's a what is that word a a class fantasy kind of a power fantasy kind of game so your moves are going to hit and then you can take your extra weapon swing and see if you can do a little bit more damage. You can combo things together and do really cool cinematic type stuff. But your main move is always going to succeed. And it's just, it's played a little bit like Destiny or some other very litigious games where there's just waves of things coming at you and you're just mowing through them. So it's very much in that vein of fulfilling the fantasy. But tonight I'm going to be a badass and that's what I'm going to do. So right. You play a post-apocalyptic kind of warrior that's charged by the hedge, which is this kind of like a veil between our world, which is dying, and the fey realm. They want to come back and take us back over with the absence of humans and the lack of disbelief they're coming on back over the hedge like charges you up grabs you and turns you into a kind of a superhero when you're over on the other side fighting back the fey you can use parts of that your defeated foes to graft onto yourself basically creating an even more powerful kind of monstrous character that can start stacking fairy abilities so you're fighting fire with fire you come on back home and it does have campaign and role play so you come back and you're building your settlement up and you're trying to work with the factions to get bonuses and help recreate the hedge so you're trying to fortify it again so you're managing your a few different clocks so your settlement clock and you have to make sure they have enough hope and they have to have enough resources if they run low on resources then they start losing hope so there's a little bit of settlement building a little bit of uh, management in the background for people who actually like the campaign play but yeah that's pretty much our crazy (laughs) you are so speaking to my civilization heart right (laughs) that is that that oh i love that and is hedge out now 
Hedge is out now. So Hedge is one of my games that has been released in development. So you can grab Hedge and then there are two expansions. One is of the full expansion, which added on all of the role-playing and settlement building and a lot more um, fairies and whatnot. And then the the second expansion was uh, a new warden came out and a new faction so that you can have animal companions and some other really cool stuff. And we have a couple more that are coming out before we're finished because we have 12 courts of the Fae outlined. And so far we've only released four. So there's a lot more Fae courts coming Oh, That's, and that's the other kind of fun thing. Every book comes loaded with fairy bad guys to fight. They have really interesting and cool abilities. We're really big on, again, that, that kind of cine, that cinemagraphic type of thing where you, you feel like you're in a movie when you're fighting. So like they all have their own combos and their special abilities and they're all creepy be twisted like dark fake creatures it's fun i love it i love it (laughs) awesome i think we found uh yet another game for our uh future gatherings up at various retreats i i i I do not disagree with you so no we'll definitely have to check out hedge that sounds fantastic thank you very much amazing absolutely now and I can get behind the campaign and the management thing too. Bouncing back to the D&D topic. And we don't just do D&D with tabletop journeys. We do branch out into other stuff too. But birthrights, not everybody got into birthrights when it came out. But I freaking loved it. Running the country. <laughs> and it was like, I don't know, medieval risks with role play, risk with role playing mixed in. And yes. I, by, by the time our first session was over, I had like my chief spy, because I was a spy guy implanted as one of the other guys like lieutenant it was i loved it so yeah definitely speaking my language there post-apocalyptic with the resource management and yeah i'm in i'm in do you want early access to every tabletop journeys episode how about exclusive content live broadcasts and the chance to throw dice with your favorite hosts and fellow fans or heck do you just want to support the show? Join our Patreon today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. We have tiers to fit any budget for a monthly commitment, or you can make a one-time contribution to the cause. We love doing the show for y'all, and support helps us keep creating and producing great content for you. So join us today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. Laura, I have two for you because I've heard two things that I really need to know more about. I like two first. I'm betting isn't going to take as long because with a name like the five second rule, it can't be crazy long. But how do you make a TTRPG out of the five second rule? That's my first question. So the five second rule is a game in its own right. It's built on a system called 3D60 or 3D6 Diversify. Which is my second question. So this is going to be a two for all in one. (laughs) The cool thing with five second rule that I had a lot of fun with is it started all with a question. What would you do with a superpower that is limited by five seconds? And I started thinking about it and asking some of my friends about it. And they came up with some crazy ideas like one person as a um, support cast, support kind of hero would lend their five seconds to other heroes to be able to use. So they double 
the duration, oh. action, effectiveness, what have you. Another one was see in the future, anytime in the future, but only for five seconds, and then forget what you, what would you do with that? And then there's simpler things like super speed for five seconds, super strength for five seconds, incredible senses for five seconds. And so with the when paired with a 3D60 system, which is you roll 3D6, like the name says, and you decide on the sum of only two of the dice. So you have a little flexibility there. You have options. And the sum of the dice decides on how well you do. If you fail with a consequence, succeed with a consequence or a bonus. But you might not always want to take the highest roll because whatever roll you take, you subtract that from your power pool. And if you get below zero, then every roll below zero is going to be one level more difficult. You pretty much subtract mm -hmm. one from the sum of your dice. And oh, I, just, I, I just, that's really interesting the way that works. Okay. I just, yeah. I get excited about being able to have so much creativity, but you have to balance it with other things as well. You have to strategize. It's not all going all out, but the five seconds and five second rules, that restriction actually forces people to think creatively on how they can use their powers together to solve an issue. Yeah. It's really difficult to succeed if you don't work together. And the really cool thing is another creator, Mitch Daly, shout out, did the first adventure for Five Second Rule, which is called Wild Tides. Another aspect of Five Second Rule is that it is encouraged the first session takes place in a training facility by LNJ Inc. But <laughs> the idea is there's no death. If there's a screw up, then the in-game answer is that there's someone on staff with the ability to rewind time by five seconds to prevent the death from happening. Huh. And you can have anything from dragons and castles to espionage and secret spies to post-apocalyptic. You can set it anywhere. It's completely setting agnostic, genre agnostic. And the 3D60 balancing that has just, it's a blast to play. Nice. I can imagine. That sounds pretty cool. I like the adding the resource management right there into your power pool and the dice. So yeah, yeah. you can do the ult you can get the full success, but it's going to cost you bringing you down. That could definitely be cool. All right. I'm yes, going to have to definitely. check that out as well. It's been fun. And also cool. with the 3D60 system, we're having a game jam right now uh, where you can hack the system. And there have only been six submissions so far. It goes on until April 8th. But the submissions have been so varied, what different people are doing with it. We have everything from tiny, you know, magical mice dealing with the issues of living in a human-sized house. <laughs> you have airships and crews and you have, goodness, this one completely macabre one. That's just, it was an interesting read. But you also have like about, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Starfinder, a class that's based on the Solarans, but well, the right. person included like all these rituals and creatures that are unique to the setting. And it was started out as a supplement to his other game, Hot Shots. But really, it's a standalone game as well. Mm. I could easily take that class and plop it into a Starfinder game if I wanted to, nice. or just play within that world on its own. There's plot hooks and everything. It's There's galactic wrestling. You know? <laughs> right. There's a scout troop who finds geodes that give them magical powers that when they drain, they can find other geodes with other powers, or they can have multiples. 
it's just it's incredible what people are doing with this. I love seeing it. That is great. And knowing that it's reached out like that is is pretty. Yeah, it's exciting. (laughs) Absolutely. It is. It should be. All right. So I'm going to I'm going to try to crack this open a little bit here and try to get to get all of you talking at the same time here. So this will be fun. Uh (laughs) I wanted to know. And this is one of the topics that came up when we were talking about this on Discord about what we all wanted to talk about. All of you have started writing your own games, and I want to lo- know more about how did you get into going from just writing your own games and coming up with your own storylines to actually developing your own games? What was that process like, and what was that journey like? And I'll let any of you hop in as you see fit. For me, it was basically doing fan fiction, like starting out with campaign prep, obviously. before I don't know if you're – are you specifically referring to game creation or writing? Any of the above, but I was guess I was more thinking. We're talking about like, commercial. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, not even not necessarily even forget. But it, but that's actually a really interesting. To, so is that kind of how you got into it by just creating like little games that were never meant to see the light of day, and then just that's how it developed? Or well, no, uh, and uh, Beth, what's Beth? To more your question too. Sorry, uh, uh, just to handle both sides here. Beth, to your question, is that kind of where the genesis was from for you? Was it actually from writing stories and everything like that, and then realizing that? within those stories and its own system was prevailing or, or something like that. Yeah, that's pretty much running. I, I started writing or um, running stories, the Wizards of the Coast stories. And then, of course, they would have to be heavily edited based on the parties I was running for. So all the Curse of Strahd games I ran, completely different stories, every single one, because it was based on the party. And so I got to the point where with session prep, I would have to be sitting down and prepping encounters that were not at all part of the book or things like that, prepping and keeping track of sessions and things like that. And then I noticed a pattern in encounter creation uh, and was like, oh, no, this is how it works writing TTRPGs. And then I just started jumping into writing projects and learning as I went, like, these more official structures to building. Okay. Okay. And then Navi, how about you? Oh, Lord. Okay, so just as far as um, creating games, I am a play-by-post writer. I've done that since I was a kid, basically. So since I, and that was a long time ago. So <laughs> since then, I you know, you'd build the, the worlds, you'd build the setting, and then you'd unleash people upon them. So it's a yeah. little bit of game, a de- little bit of game design, but different. Played a lot of D&D from about 18 up until... Just a couple of years ago, and then I found Blades in the Dark, and that is that—that's the what do you call it? That's the the thing, right? That was the, the catalyst. Like the that's engine, the word. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I found Blades in the Dark, and then I could never play D anD D again. I, after playing Blades in the Dark, I was ruined, and then I was just forever angry at D, and I was like, I can't. And I played it for so long, and now I'm like. But have you played Blades in the Dark? So once I picked up Blades in the Dark and I saw what an indie game was and what people were doing in that arena, suddenly I need first I need to hack this. So I I originally started with a game that was um, called Kids in the Dark. It was basically like I grew up. First of all, don't ever raise your children this way. But like I watched horror movies since I was like five. So like it and um, any Stephen King movie. So it was based on that. So you're you're Freddy Krueger, right? So you're playing the children who have to face the big evil 
and the parents don't believe you or they don't care or they don't yes. know or they can't help you. So that, that kind of got me started. Anyways, it wasn't very good. It's in my desk dying because it wasn't very good. But then I started Court of Blades immediately after that. And before you knew it, I was like, I have a, we have an entire game on our hands. And so we got into the community and yeah, because I really haven't, I know I have a lot of games under my belt, but we haven't been doing this that long. We started actually making games, I want to say last, not counting uh, Court of Blades was the thing that we were working on in the background, but we never, we, it was open development. So like it was free, everybody could play it. It was messy for a long time there. And then eventually we launched it. So that was really convoluted, but that's pretty much how I got around to (laughs) making games. I've always made games and I just recently started selling games and it's John Harper's (laughs) fault. Nice. Nice. All right. Lori, you decided you didn't want to go first. You get to go last. A few different paths converging. (laughs) So I started out much like Navi, play by post, narrative heavy back in 2000, 2002. And I got into writing first, became a bit of a published author, just like short little stories and anthologies, started taking commission stories. I went to PAX West and ran across the indie group there for (laughs) board games mainly. And that made me realize, oh, wow, I can actually make games that we'd want to play, my group and I would want to play. Tried that, kind of faltered, really stumbled, took a break from it. But I did get John Wick's big book of little games. No, not that John Wick. But it kind I know of- John Wick. <laughs> He's so cool. That doesn't surprise me based on what I've read. <laughs> <laughs> but it showed me how it was my first introduction to narrative heavy mechanic RPGs that only take a few pages. I didn't even know they existed until then. Fast forward until last year. And I had joined the Weird Giraffe Games server. When I got into the board games and I kept it to the background, not really just chatting with some of the people there. And someone posted about the one page RPG jam, TTRPG jam on itch.io. And it's wait, just one page. I won't get overwhelmed. I have to keep it tight then. And I wound up developing my first three games with a dozen partially half finished whips. But (laughs) I kind of got hooked on it from there. It became pretty addictive because of the community being so warm and welcoming. I was able to make friends because I joined the Discord server for that jam. And it was just a lot of fun. And I've been, I took a bit of a break from it, but came back around November, December, and I haven't stopped. I thought I'd crash and burn by now. That's one of the coolest things that I love about the indie game design sub culture of the tabletop role-playing game culture is that like things like the one page RPG design that comes it's like in November of every year or something like that. And isn't that isn't that how Caltrop D4 system started too? Was I was like it was like a response to like a two hundred word make a role playing game in two hundred words or something like that. And it was that, one of those jams that born yeah exactly that that bore the the Caltrop system, which is now like probably one of the most it, it's been one of the most popular remixed games over the last year is all based on 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 the the D four system. That's the kind of thing that I love seeing is like how f- people far more creative than I am can take so much awesomeness and fit it into two hundred words in in a, in a system like that. It's just a it's really cool to go ahead and see. So that's awesome. Don't sell yourself short, Josh. You create great crap. 
Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. You're welcome. Was, I've got more questions. If you guys don't like, I used yeah. the word crap there to mean stuff, not to indicate yeah. anything about. I know. Just, that was, <laughs> yeah. was a compliment. It, I didn't actually catch that because, like, I've known you for so long that I, I suddenly realized it was a backhanded compliment, and that was not my goal. <laughs> Beth, you had said mentioned earlier that you do some work for Modifius. So, two questions came out of that comment for me. One is. Which Modifius games have you worked on and what is it like working with that group of creators and that company? So my answer is going to be super short because I haven't worked on already published projects. I am working on current projects, which I'm not allowed to talk about, unfortunately, but (laughs) the team is amazing. Uh, (laughs) I can tell you that they're like, they're so cool and so just they're great. Yeah. Yeah. Good people. Awesome people in DA. Heard. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, gotcha. I, I love that answer. You know? And as soon as you are able to talk about that, oh, the, I'm going to talk so much about it because it's so <laughs> cool. Hashtag call your boys TTJ because we, we want to hear about it. <laughs> I have been a fan of the Star Trek game and I have yet to throw dice with that system. I have purchased some things. I'm trying to gather some stuff. I actually bought uh, one of the box sets for a good friend of mine, a right uh, friend of the specifically so that one of the two of us will have to run the game. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I I have a plan at some future uh, retreat for all of us to run a Star Trek game. I've actually got my story all set. I've had that right. story for about 10 years. <laughs> I've just been waiting for a system like I used to do it in last unicorn games. And now this system's here so i just have to tailor it to fit the new system so my question is for the group because you've all got the experience you've been talking about it already right so uh, you do uh it's a what advice would you give those out there who are thinking about it kind of question because we all know we're we're doing this for national women's month to to honor that and we all know that the female presence in the ttrt RPG space is growing significantly. The everyone presence, actually, which is great. It's just so much on the rise. So for anyone out there that even, heck, the three guys you're talking to who are writing their second book ever, that might be trying to figure out how to make the transition from creating their own pen and paper game or even campaign to creating campaign material. Now that you're where you are, what would you tell them that you wish you knew when you started? I'm actually armed for this one because I got five second rule in Tiny Tome by Longtail Games. And they asked us as creators to come up with tips and advice for people who want to get into it. So I'm actually prepared. Nice. (laughs) One of the things I recommend is if you have this grand big idea, which I do as well, save it. Start small. You know, keep it just a couple of pages. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to be learning as you go. It's better to save those learning points for the smaller stuff. It also allows you to establish a place in the community to get to know others. I feel like you're calling me out right now. There are exceptions and you are an awesome one. Generally speaking, it's good to start small. It also keeps you from being overwhelmed because there's probabilities to work out. There's worlds and settings and races and there's so much people usually have to juggle when you're looking at the bigger games. But if you keep it small, you keep it simple, you get a feel for it, you get a feel for the community. And you can work your way up. I've got this magnum opus kind of game that I'm looking forward to make, but I know I'm going to get like horrendously overwhelmed. 
it's just, it's a lot for me. But I started small and now I have over 20 games under my name. So I'm doing something okay-ish, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but also- my advice is like the polar opposite. I'm like, just get in there yep. and do it. Exactly. That thing that you want to do, just do. And if you find out halfway through that you don't actually want to do it anymore, just shove it in your desk and work on the next thing. So take all those lessons with you and that material will still be there when you circle back to it feeling guilty in 10 years. Like, it's all right. Just do it. (laughs) That sounds a lot like Cal from Awfully Queer Heroes, who we've had on the show here a couple of times, but they put out so much material. Like, they do five or six Kickstarters a year, and each one is 250 pages. And we're like, how do you, where does this come? I don't know. I just keep writing. It's just, it it just comes out. And she works a full time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Her her, as well. Her appendix section in her last book was big, was almost as big as the book. As our book. It was an adventure, but she still has a full subclass for every. So one one thing I had to learn in writing is one size doesn't fit all. I get asked, how do I do it? I release so many games, even though my games are short. But for me, I get the dopamine rush with the finishing the game. And I ride that dopamine rush into the next project. It's what keeps me going. For other people, having that grand image of what you want to make and getting it down on paper and getting it worked through and getting it play tested and seeing it evolve. That's what gives the dopamine rush that keeps you going. So it's not a one size fit all. Oh, no, 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 absolutely. You got to find what works for you. And for the people out there listening, the goal is to take whichever advice resonates with you and the way that you create. It's not about uh, a right or a wrong answer. All of these are correct. And we have a full gambit right here on our own team in the way that we create. And it gets a little bit <laughs> interesting sometimes. It, it gets dicey with the three of us sometimes. Yeah, like yeah. Uh, All of uh, our creative processes are different. I think that regardless of whichever method you choose, here's, here's advice that is universal. Get on Twitter and find your tribe because they will cheer for you. They will keep you going. They will support you. If you put out the good vibes, you're going to get them back. Do yes. it. And then, and then when you do make something, even if it takes you a long time, when you do make something, you will have those people behind you ready to support you. It's very hard to come into this particular community and not know anyone and then put something out because you're going to have a hard time getting that traction. Indie is growing but it's not that big yet so even if you're not ready to put out a game start building your tribe now ask well and that being said creating something can help you build your audience too so i had 200 followers on twitter when i launched my book and that was several months ago and i'm at over 1500 now and they all came in from uh word of mouth from that book because it was such a niched project that people are so passionate about. Like if you're into Strahd, you're not casually into Strahd. You're like into Strahd. I know that Strahd guy. He's okay. We we met a few times. No. I'm actually reading Strahd at the moment because I'm thinking about running it. Uh, And I've never tried to do Ravenloft before, but did I say that out loud on the air? I'm reading Strahd at the moment. You had me peaked. But yeah, he's definitely a hell of a character. Yeah. yeah, you can build <laughs> oh your God. audience with your project. And it's also a really organic way to there's this concept of your super, oh, I don't even know the term for it. But there's the people that follow you that are like your hype people, your the cheerleaders. Promoters. And when they come promoters, in based yeah. on something that you made that they like, they're like, they're, I love I love my people on Twitter so much because I can put out anything and they're like, ah, 
I'm here for it. And I'm like, you get a following. And that's kind of the thing. One of the things you say about content creation, because I haven't done the book thing, but I've done a lot. I've, I've been COVID put us all into the digital world, right? We're all like, what the hell are we going to do with ourselves now? Oh, yeah. if we can never go out in public again. So lots and lots of research. <laughs> so one of the big things that came out of that, that I learned about content creation is you never know when it's going to strike for you. It could be your first project could be amazing. But if it doesn't hit the right audience, it might not do great until your next project, and then it might get back traction. It's put out good, consistent, quality content, and the people will come. So just make sure you're putting everything you got into it, and whether and it's a big my, project or a little bit one. That would be like my suggestion is, yeah, put a lot into. I My project was really focused on the artwork and the layout design and and then finding the right influencer to work with on launch day that would that was that their audience was the people I thought would be really interested in particular in like a feminist retelling of this D&D story just you know that having that those high visuals and then trying to connect to that that targeted audience I I think that's why it it did the way that it did this is probably one of the best conversations we've had on the show in the year and a half we've been here because it, Josh and I and Glenn have talked several times about the fact we do this all the time. Like we'd be hanging out with friends after a LARP at Denny's or chilling at a friend's house before a LARP on the couch. And we would break into some long discussion about game design, who does what, or this game that we ran and we would go on Nerds. and on. And everybody would <laughs> circle the conversation around. That's why we do the podcast because we live a little further apart and life is life. So we're like, we still want to have those couch conversations and this is probably one of those best ones that's like why we do this and i really appreciate that because this has been a great learning experience and it's been wonderful just talking to people who are happy and energetic about this this game we all love yeah, that's been a great conversation and part of what made that so wonderful is just the different perspectives having and it made it a little bit more complicated having this many people to try to share a conversation, but three different guests from three different companies definitely brought a significant depth to the conversation that I really yeah. enjoyed. So thank you very much, ladies. Let's go around so we can tell all of our listeners where to find all of your stuff and uh, let them uh, let them connect with you and Ooh, download your places. awesome games. All and mostly our... so that I can go and download them after we're done here. Beth, where do our listeners go to find you? You can find me everywhere on the internet at It's Beth the Bard. So I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, kind of. My Ko-Fi is at It's Beth the Bard, where I do put up sessions once in a while, but I also offer services like uh, web design, uh, like just doing a full website package, layout design for TTRPG publications, things like that, because graphic design is my main jam as an artist. From an artist perspective, you can find my book, She is the Ancient, just at sheistheancient.com. It'll bring you right to the DMs Guild listing. And my Lamordia book will be out in a couple of months, also on DMs Guild. Awesome. When I And when when the next Bojifius books comes out, we'll make sure and drop you a line too to go ahead and, and get in on that because we're in. <laughs> Laura, how about you? Where can, we, where can we go to find your stuff? I'm under Lucky Newt Games. You can find me on Itch.io under that. You can find me on Twitter under that. LuckyNewtGames at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, just leave the torches and pitchforks at home, please. <laughs> <laughs> and we have solo games, multiplayer games. Um, currently, I'm running the Hackett 3D60 Jam. And I'm itch funding for commissioned artwork for, for Whistling Wolf Cafe, which is one of my top 
sellers and downloads. You can find updates on that on my Twitter account. I had games in the uh, TTRPGs for Trans Rights in Texas bundle. I also did an entire string of blurbs, single tweet blurbs, to blurb out each and every game that was in the bundle, which let me tell you, it was a heck of a challenge. Heck of a bundle, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> but I'm also working on a couple more 3D60 games. I'm working on some road trip games. I've got a jam coming out in May that people are already joining called a Light in the Darkness, TTRPGs for Hope. And all of this you can find on my Itch.io page. Like I actually have my whips and my bundles and everything listed out on there. Brilliant. Awesome. Thank you very much. And Navi, last but certainly not least. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Navi Musing. That is always the best place to find me. You can always slide into my DMs. I love talking to people in the community. Sometimes <laughs> creep. So you can find my stuff at a couple of or a couple of Either one will get you there. Right now, I think the hottest things I have going on are you can still get in and get your pre-order discounted price on Court of Blades. And also on Skyworthy, which I didn't talk about tonight, but Skyworthy is a solo journaling game where you play from the point of view of the skyship sailing through different eras and trading the hands of captains and crews. And it's basically the game that is cheaper than therapy because you will cry the entire time that you play it. But it is also going to print because we just finished itch funding for Zemo in February. So it is on its way to a big fancy print copy. So that'll be another one that you can get at the discounted price in physical if you grab it now. And all of those are easy to find on any of my websites. <laughs> Luanika, you should check out Quarter Blades because if you haven't heard about that game, I think you'd really like it. Yeah. Is that enough of a heads up? Is that, yeah, that, you yelled at me last time. So well played, Josh. Well played. Good job. Yeah. Yeah, so. You got a witness. I, I know. You, you told you <laughs> If I don't uh, so blame well, you for that, I'll blame you for something else anyway. Yeah, no, fair enough. Navi, Laura, Beth, thank you so very much for coming on the show tonight. This was has been an absolute blast. I, uh, thank you so, very much for saying yes, first of all, when I sent you this crazy idea like a month ago to go and say, hey, why don't you come on the show and talk about how awesome you are? So thank you very much for saying yes. I, I appreciate you returning my phone calls. Uh, that was great. And thank you very much for coming on. I, listeners out there, seriously go check out their stuff like absolutely all three of these creators have got wildly different and awesome writing out there and there you will find something uh, in your wheelhouse from any of these creators go go check them out all their links that they talked about right now are going to be down in the show notes uh, so make sure you go uh, go check them out so uh, let's see. So what do we got here? So oh, that's right. We are just now beginning our month of Critical Role content. So next Saturday, Saturday, we have our, our episode reviewing the uh, Vox Machina series, which was uh, awesome and a really good episode. That was a lot of fun to go ahead and record. And then uh, we've got a bunch of Critical Role content coming out uh, later in the month. Uh, we're going to be reviewing Call of the Netherdeep. We have an interview with Hannah Rose coming up. So that'll be awesome. And yeah, just a bunch of great stuff. And then Plus our Babies and Broadswords. With the What's that silver now? tongue. Yeah. Yep. yep. A couple, that's right. a couple uh, different class warfares coming out this yep. month, uh, specifically for critical role content. Yep. Yep. I'm looking forward to the Blood Hunter one too. That'll be fun. And and the Babies and Broadswords actual play will be starting uh, in just a couple of weeks here. So that'll be fun. Oh, so so for our guests who don't know, Babies and Broadswords is exactly what it sounds like. It's like Dungeons and Dragons plus Rugrats yes. or Muppet Babies. Okay. Yeah. 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 Right. It's, it's absolutely so I, I amazing. Played, I it's played, awesome. Uh, I played a little cute, a cute little otter named Jellybean. <laughs> who has a blanket that they swirl around themselves and become their warlock alter ego, baby Gaga. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> and the, um, and oh, I, yes. It was, it was so much yes. fun. It was. I played a sneaky pants guinea pig named Squiggly the Bear. It was, yeah. she, she was amazing. Yeah. This, this Sneaky character. pants uh, is the class. 
Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So anyway, all that to go ahead time. and say a lot of great content coming up on the channel this month. We're really looking forward to it. And uh, so one further time, Navi, Laura, Beth, uh, thank you very much for joining us tonight. This has been an absolute blast. Thank you for spending your Thursday evening with us. So yes, thank you so much. Thanks it's been for great. Having Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for inviting us. Anytime, our pleasure, yeah. our honor. Thank you. All right. Excellent. Thank you very much, everybody. Yeah, we'll talk to you again next week when we talk Vox Machina. uh, Until then, have a great week, everybody. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, at ttjourneys, by joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. And remember, if you want early access to all of our episodes, a chance to drop dice with your favorite hosts, and maybe even appear in one of our actual plays, you can join our Patreon to help support the show at patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys. You're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible. We would appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays, and every Tuesday features our actual play episodes. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler along our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.